Kennedy Hawk from the MCM team. We are done with our group episodes for the year. Uh, everybody else is on holiday break at this point, so we are going to wrap up our Mutant Genesis three-part series in January once we can get all four of us. But we've got a couple more solo shows coming at you over the next couple days uh, before I head out for my holiday break. So the first one is going to be a new type of episode that we're going to revisit with everybody later, but I'm going to introduce it to you all in two episodes. And first, we're going to talk about the villains. Um, so this is going to be my version of a 2022 villain tier list, and it's going to be a little bit different. We're not going to go S tier, A tier, B, C, D tier, anything like that. Instead, we're going to use the alignment chart on tiermaker.com to look at you know villain difficulty and complexity and figure out where the fun zone is for Kennedy Hawk. So I'm going to try to talk about what I'm displaying on my screen um, in the podcast feed version of this, but this episode is probably best viewed on YouTube. So if you check out our YouTube channel, you'll be able to see the tier list as I'm building it and sort of understand what I'm talking about at this little intro portion. So a difficulty complexity alignment, what does that even mean? So this is a recap of my various playgroups and where we all place different villain scenarios on a difficulty complexity alignment chart. So what we're doing here is we have a chart with an x-axis that goes from something being simple to something being super overly complicated. And what does that mean, simple versus complicated? Simple might mean something like Rhino. He's pretty simple. He's pretty straightforward. He doesn't offer like a ton of player choices. It's just kind of a standard beat-em-up. And complex, we might think of something like Venom Goblet as being super complex. There's a million tokens moving around. He provides so many choices that you might get brain burn. So to me, there's a sweet spot in the middle of this simple versus complex scale. And that's on the x-axis or the lateral axis of my chart. And then on the y-axis, I have difficulty. So some scenarios are very easy, right? It's, it's very easy to beat risky business. And some scenarios are very hard. Nebula does exist. And for each player, like, you know, the sweet spot on this difficulty complexity alignment chart is going to be different. Um, so what this is, it's a recap of my playgroups. I've talked with everybody that I play with to sort of figure out where we place these villains, who our favorites are, why they're our favorites, and where they would fit onto this chart. It's a means in which we can discuss and talk about villain design at the close of 2022, maybe look for gaps in the chart, or in my opinion of the chart, where maybe FFG could go in the future. What this is not, right, this is not a definitive way that all players see the game. Not everyone in my playgroups even agrees with where I'm placing all of these villains. And certainly, my different playgroups feel differently about different villains. It's not some perfectly mathematical or scientific way to sort the villains, but it is something that each person can ask themselves, placing things on, on a chart like this. There's a little bit of emotion here, depending on which villains really scorned you in the past, or which ones you had really fun, memorable games with. And I want to take a minute to talk about, you know, there's actually a third access to this chart. So each player and group that plays Marvel Champions probably has a different target range on this map of complexity versus difficulty, right? There's going to be some spot that's like the ideal fun zone for each playgroup. So it might be right in the middle. You want something that's not too challenging and not too easy, something that's not too complex but not so simple that you're just, you know, working out the actions. So you want some sort of ideal fun zone. So you can think of that as a third axis popping out of this chart. 
Um, so your kitchen table, you know, your meta, your local playgroup is going to have a different ideal fun zone than another player's local playgroup. You might even have different zones depending on player count and things like that, right? So there's a third axis that's I'm having the most fun when things are in a certain range. So just as examples, right, expert players might want things to be a little bit more challenging and a little bit more complex. Standard players might want them to be a little bit easier and a little bit more simple. So they'd be going to this bottom left quadrant where it's simple and easy, and expert players might want to be in the challenging complex quadrant, but they still might enjoy villains that fall in other areas. At the same time, min-maxers, right, like the people that love to optimize decks, tinker with them and figure out what the best, most efficient way to play is. They probably like really challenging scenarios that are high on the complexity scale because it's really easy to min-max those easy scenarios. But maybe deep theme players, players that love the theme of the game, they don't need the game to be overly complicated to exude theme, right? Rhino has a ton of theme. Ultron has a ton of theme. And neither of them are like super complex. They're a little bit complex, but they're not as involved as some of the more recent villains but they can still be a ton of fun. So you can be pretty simple on the complexity scale and medium on the challenging scale and have a really fun thematic game. So people's fun zones, depending on who they're playing with, how they're feeling that day, are going to move around. So like for me, right, my try-hard team of Arkham players that loves to, you know, lose five Arkham scenarios or Lord of the Rings scenarios before we move on, we're up in this, you know, challenging complex area, and I probably moved us a little too far to the complexity side, because we can get frustrated with that as well. But when I'm playing with my son, right, I mean, we're playing the simplest villains with our favorite heroes just to have a good time. So we're over in the easy and simple range. So depending on who you're playing with, you're going to find a different spot for you. So sort of like averaging all my playgroups together and all the opinions I'm coming with, I think this is my ideal fun zone. So it's like an angled oval um, that most of the quadrant is in challenging, most of the area is in challenging and simple, and a little bit of it is in easy and simple, and there's a little bit in challenging and complex, and there's very little in the complicated and easy sector. And I feel like that's a sector that probably not a lot of people enjoy. A super complicated setup and a lot of triggers to keep track of when the scenario is super easy doesn't offer a ton of reward, but it might for a thematic player. So your zone is going to be different for everybody. Just so everybody's clear, the opinions that I'm tracking for this include my solo opinions, two-player opinions um, with me and my wife, two-player opinions with me and my son, a three-player group from work, and a four-player group that we get together with on Friday nights every once in a while. So there's all four player counts um, represented here. Everybody had varying different opinions, and I'm going to distill them down into the easiest bit of information that I can push onto all of you. So I will put a link to the tier maker map in the YouTube description and in the podcast feed. I would love for you to make your own map. Tell me where I placed a villain wrong um, or maybe why your fun zone's in a different spot and leave it on any of the socials or on Discord. I'd love to engage about this kind of content. So we've got our tier maker put up here and I was thinking normally with a tier list, I would start right with the D tier and sweep up. But with this, it's a little bit different. There's like, there's not a best area, right? My best area is going to change as I play more games of Marvel Champions, as more heroes come out, characters might move around, as more mods come out, villains might become more interesting because they have mods that hook with them better. Um, and there's a lot of different scales you could put on this like that, right? You could have theme as a scale on here. You could have, you know, modularity. How well is it mixed with modules? For me, complexity and challenge challengingness or difficulty really 
hone in on what I find to be fun. So that's what I'm using for today. But long story short, I'm going to go in chronological release order because that's what makes the most sense for right now. So we're going to start with good old Rhino out here. So I think Rhino is a pretty fun scenario. Um, and I'm not supposed to judge on fun, right? I have a fun zone, and I need to see if, based on his complexity and his challengingness, if he ends in my fun zone or near it or not, because I think that I find him to be fun. Um, so he's a single scheme scenario from the Champions Core set. He's a classic beat-em-up. He's about as straightforward as they can go. He's not, like, super simple. He does have overkill. He's got some things going on for him. Um, he's not too difficult, but with a solo tax, I'm not... I don't feel like I can put him at the bottom of the easy difficulty, so I'm going to put him just below that uh, complexity axis, so he's a little bit on the easy side, maybe a little bit further down. Um, I do think he's pretty simple. I still enjoy Rhino, um, but mostly in multiplayer with newer groups. To me, he's probably barely going to squeeze into my fun zone, um, and I think that, that I'm going to place him right there near that, that oval that I think he belongs in. But he's definitely in the bottom left quadrant in the simple and easy side. Um, I think most people would see it that way unless they're like pure solo players on, you know, heroic or something like that. All right. So I placed Rhino. And I think where I place the core set will probably shape a lot of my opinions is my guess. So we're going to jump to Claw next. I feel like Claw is pretty perfect on the difficulty scale. And my, uh, my oval wasn't completely balanced around challenge and easy it was a little bit more on the challenging side so i think he's just above that you know what should be average or baseline villain he has a unique wow factor with his double boost cards adding extra weight to your decision to defend so it's, it doesn't seem complex right it's a very simple way to add complexity to the game and to me that puts something you know it's it's pretty simple so i'm going to put him on the simple side of the x x x dim. Um, but I think that it's more complicated than we give it credit for when you think about how important it is for you to decide when you're going to defend and when you're not going to defend, especially with his boost abilities. It's a bit more complex um, and has a large complexity toggle due to that boosting, especially as new sets come out. If the sets come out with a ton of cool boost abilities, they can become really interesting to play with Claw. Um, Claw is one of my favorite heroes, so he lies pretty much smack dab in the middle of my uh, fun, my peak fun zone here, um, and he is placed. So let's go ahead here and find our friend Ultron. We'll throw him right here at the center and talk about him for a little bit. I think Ultron is definitely a tick up from Claw in difficulty, um, and he's a tick up in complexity. I think he's actually like just to the right of the uh, you know easy challenging line on the complex side of things. Um, he does have, you know, this face-down car that you have to account for and remember that your combos could be broken up. He's got very different effects on every side of his villain stage. Um, there's a lot of very, very complicated rules interactions with his one and two side. But kitchen table tier list style, I mean, you just kind of merge them all together and do your best. Um, so I don't think he is too complex for a kitchen table style game. Drones coming from your deck is pretty original. Uh, but they can be cumbersome to players, especially in playgroups when they lose a combo piece, they can get really frustrated. I think he's still a really hard villain, um, and if we had judged this, you know, right after the corset came out, I would be throwing him way at the top here on the difficulty axis. But there's so many silver bullets for Ultron right now, I think he kind of lies over here. He's he's harder than, you know, the average villain. Um, he's definitely harder than Claw. He's a tick up. He's a bit more challenging than Claw, but he's not... He's not like the most challenging villain in the world. I'm going to place him right there. He's 
probably just to the right of the easy challenging um, line for complexity, and he's he's definitely harder than Claw, so just a little bit north of him. So if I remember my fun zone where the oval is, it looks like I really like the Marble Champions corset. That might be you know the reason I decided to start a podcast on it. So where did the rest of the game take us? Next, we're going to do Risky Business. We had the Green Goblin Mutagen Formula Pack all the way, you know, three-ish years ago. On the surface, this scenario seems super complex, right? Just throw away over here. A flipping, flipping villain. Lots of decisions to be made around that. When do I flip him? There's all these counters to keep track of. So there is, like, a lot of complexity. At the same time... Um, like that complexity is sort of removed from you once you figure out how to solve this villain, right? You can let him sit in Norman form, build up a ton of shields or infamy counters, and there's not really a big punishment for that. There's like on the scheme flip, there's kind of a punishment, but it's just milling your deck. And since you get to reshuffle your deck, it's like, okay, that's not that big of a deal. Um, so his complexity is super complex as far as like setup goes, but the decision-making isn't super complex. So, I mean... To me, this complexity axis is like a bell curve of, is there, it's, it's like a factor of two things, I guess is what I'm saying. So I'm making like a four axis cube here, but I'm complying, com, I'm, I'm, I'm merging these two things into the complexity scale. Is it complex, you know, just the mechanisms of what's going on in the scenario? Is there a lot going on? And is it overly complicated in your decision making or is it undercomplicated? So that, that lowers him a little bit in complexity, but the biggest problem with, with him is that he's far too easy. Like, if I could drag him below the easy line, the, the, the very bottom easy line, I would, right? So he's over in this scenario area that I think a lot of scenarios don't thrive in, where they're a little bit complex, there's a lot going on, there's a lot of triggers to remember, and they're super easy. So you're doing all these triggers, and you're thinking, okay, well, this game's inevitable, so why don't I just go scoop and set up Claw? Um, and that's why I place him in the bottom right quadrant, the easy complex quadrant. All right. Mutagen formula. All right, let's place him in the middle and talk about Mr. Mutagen a little bit. Um, so here is a scenario that I think really has legs to stay on the test of time. He's a community favorite. Um, every single playgroup I talked to and played with loved him. So that tells you something right there. So he is a very fun scenario. Um, he sort of offers an advantage for everything which I really like. An advantage for defending, right? Or using allies to defend, to not place that threat. He's got lots of minions. He's got lots of threaty things for you to deal with. Uh, we finally get to the point where like a main scheme flipping is an actual decision point for players, which I think is a really pivotal decision in the future releases that we're going to talk about here of when do I allow that main scheme to progress and when do I need to hold back. Some scenarios when you let that main scheme progress, your scenario is basically a race or it's over. I mean, Ultron was like that. But here you really get to decide and control like I could let this pop, but it could lead to a cyclone later. Um, so I think he's he's... Not over, he's not more complex than Ultron, but he offers better decision-making than Ultron because it's not just like, make sure I clear the drones. Sometimes you have to leave a minion out there. I think he's a little bit more challenging than Ultron, especially in Expert, especially in Solo. Um, so he's over here still in my fun circle, uh, right on the outskirts up here by Ultron. He's a little bit on the challenging simple side. Um, just barely in the simple um, side. He's almost, you know, dead on that line. All right, so we are going on. We had two villain packs before the first box, and the next one was the Wrecking Crew. So let's get them out there. 
So here is the Wrecking Crew, and right away I'm just going to tell you, this one ends up down here in the overly complicated, over easy, as far as we can get into the corner quadrant. This is probably one of the least liked and least enjoyed scenarios in Marvel Champions, which is unfortunate, because the Wrecking Crew is like a classic villain scenario that could be a ton of fun. And when it was previewed, people were stoked for a multi-villain scenario. This one doesn't need a ton of discussion. It falls even more complicated than Risky Business, even easier than Risky Business. It's super fiddly, way too fiddly to be fun. Um, it's in the bottom corner mainly because there's just so much going on. There's so much setup and effort put in. And then the scenario is so easy. They give you so much control as the hero, which is good. We like to be empowered as heroes. But it's also bad because it makes the scenario non-threatening. Um, and that's the worst thing, in my opinion, that can happen in a scenario. This scenario can be fun and heroic, or if you use some sort of homebrew randomizer to like decide which villain is activating each time. But again, we're going like outside the normal scope of what my teams play just to make a scenario fun, which to me puts it in this region where it's very far and opposed from my fun zone. Alright, so we're getting into the boxes, and everyone knows how I feel about the Red Skull box, so we should expect a lot of villains to hopefully fall in my fun zone here. And we're going to start with Crossbones. To me, Crossbones feels like the very first race scenario in the game, right? We have three main schemes. They all have really low thresholds, so you can only dink around for so long before you draw into an advance or something like that, especially in solo or two-player. With four players, you have a little bit more breathing room if you have a Justice player, but in solo and two-player, there's like this three strikes and you're out mechanic. And Crossbone deceptively has a lot going on. He interacts with weapons, um, he's got a ton of decision making when you're building the villain deck because you get to pick three modules. You have like so many interactions that you can test out with crossbones, so just like the decision well setting up offers a fun decision making challenge. Um, I do think he's a little bit on the easy side, so he's a little bit easier, or not easier, complex, less complex than um, mutagen formula, probably around claw level. Um, for difficulty, I think he's He's pretty much, I'm going to put him a little bit lower than Claw, just because his health is so low, it could be a little bit easy to burst him down. Um, but you can still have a real hard time with him in solo, especially if you hit an advance at the wrong time. He's pretty much smack dab in the middle of my fun zone. He's one of my favorite villains to play, so I expect him to be there, so that, that worked out well. Alright, next we've got Absorbing Man. So here's another odd one. So Absorbing Man isn't too fiddly. He does have the environments, and you kind of have to bounce through him, and make decisions based on what environments is out what environment is out there, but that's not that hard to remember. It's one card in front of you you have to read the trade on. So he's not overly complex, um, which is good. He's a straightforward villain, but the problem is, again, he provides no challenge. So he's kind of like the bottom left corner. Instead of the bottom right where Wrecking Crew is and complex and easy, he's simple and easy, which is another place you don't want to be. I think simple and easy is better than complex and easy, right? Because you're, you're not putting as much effort into it. Um, there's something really cool looking about Absorbing Man that almost works, right? These stall counters are a cool way to ramp the villain up as the villain goes on, and I hope they visit something like that again, where the villain gets stronger as the game goes on, because that's one of the big complaints about Marvel Champions, right, is that um, as the heroes build up, the end kind of feels inevitable. But if you put something in there that sort of catches the villain up, that can be really fun for providing a challenge for the heroes at the end of the game. At the same time, something like stall tactics from Absorbing Man, if you dink around for too long and get too many stall counters, that's just like an auto-loss card. He, like, threats out when you draw it. And that's no fun either. So it's 
I'd like to see them revisit that idea again. Maybe not call it stall mechanics again, but something similar where the villain scales the longer you let the game go on. So you have to figure it out what threshold can I keep surviving before I have to race. All right, Taskmaster. Where are you in our bottom, Tasky? So Taskmaster is a pretty non-offensive villain. He shines in theme, which is great. I love theme. Again, should be a, you know, a sixth axis on my cube here. Um, he shines in theme with cards like Mimicry. I, it's one of my favorite treacheries to show people that really know Marvel because they get to see how the designers you know, really enabled theme with Taskmaster. I really like the captured ally hook. I think it's super unique, especially at the point that it was released in the game. We're now, you know, seeing a repeat of that combined with other um, hooks, which is pretty fun. Um, and it all started here with Taskmaster. I do see kind of like a sub-theme here of punishing players for flipping, because when you flip, you have to discard and take some damage. But then also encouraging them to flip down, because if you maintain hero form, you also take damage or place threat. Unfortunately, like that decision gives too much power to the players and you don't feel a lot of pressure from it, which is a little bit unfortunate. Um, so it feels like it's one of the first times they've tried to have two hooks on the same villain. Um, and one of them shines okay. You know, the the captured allies, you know, revolving the scenario around that. And very few people think about the flipping portion of it because it just doesn't interact with the rest of his kit very well. And we're going to see with later villains, sometimes that interaction makes the complexity a little bit less. So I think Taskmaster is actually quite complicated for what he provides. Um, there's a lot going on. He's not very hard. So again, he's going to go down into this compl complex, easy area. There's like a ton of triggers you have to remember. Can't tell you how many times I'm playing Taskmaster where like our entire team flips up and then we start the villain phase and we're like, oh, we all forgot to discard our boost card. And it's only one trigger, but there's so many of those only one triggers in one scenario that it becomes difficult. My biggest thing that I don't like about this scenario is I love the captured ally side scheme mechanics so much that I hate when I see them as a boost card. And it makes me always want to run a justice player with one way or another, which is one way like that the funness of this scenario has increased a little bit. Uh, my enjoyment has gone up with Taskmaster, and he's like really close to pushing into that fun bubble, I would say. Um, but he's just outside of it for me. All right, Zola. So, Zola. Hated by solo players, loved by groups. That's what I learned by talking to people. The mad doctor himself, Zola. I like Zola. To me, he's a great challenge and expert for my diehard group. And he's a fun beating in standard if I use some tune decks with my standard friends. That being said, I do not enjoy Zola solo. Um, the minion always coming out on you and things like that just get a little bit too punishing. And it doesn't scale well with Zola. I don't enjoy him in two-player with my kiddo, either. Uh, he's he's just not super fun. He isn't too complex, but if a villain gets... Or not a villain. A minion gets a ton of attachments on them, they can get a little complex. But I still think he's in like the crossbones claw region. But I think he's on the, the higher of the difficulty side. I'm actually going to bump Mugen Formula up a little bit. Because I think Zolo's a little bit easier than Mugen Formula. Except in Solo, where he's just like skyrocketing high so i'm kind of like averaging it out and putting him just below mutagen formula and he's like at the edge of my fun bubble if it was just me playing with the people um playing with select groups he'd definitely be in the fun zone um and he's you know what i'm gonna push him down a little bit because i think he is in my fun zone so i think that's kind of my fun region right there rhino crossbones claw zoa green goblin and ultron all right, we're almost done with the first box. 
we're moving on to Red Skull himself. So Red Skull. Um, surprising no one, Red Skull is one of my favorite scenarios ever. He has this unique way of giving everyone something to do. There's great minions for an aggression player. The side schemes come out every turn for the justice player to deal with. Defensive savings are needed, right? If too many side schemes get out of control, you really need a defensive player to save you. Allies, obviously, always good. He's just all-around notorious, um, and he's always fun to pair with new mods. I find myself revisiting Red Skull time and time again, because you're guaranteed to see those side scheme cards. His complexity is pretty high, honestly. Um, there's a lot going on with him. I wouldn't. It's, it's probably a little bit higher than Ultra, honestly, with like a side deck happening and all sorts of things. I typically play him with Legions, so he's probably a little bit harder for me than Ultron, but um, an expert Ultron can be quite hard too if you let too many minions pile up. So he's right around that area. He's at the edge of my fun zone, but definitely on the inside of it as far as I'm concerned, um, but real close um, to, to getting bumped even further in as we get more and more side schemes to mix with him. Um, and we get more and more interesting decisions. So he's like in that sweet spot for complexity where there's interesting decisions, but they're not so interesting that like my brain just gets burnt while playing against him. So great design. I, I really love Red Skull. All right, Kang. Um, where are you, Kang icon? Did we forget to load a Kang? Oh, there you are. Kang, Kang the Conqueror. So we mentioned complexity. It doesn't get more complex than Kang. <laughs> There's just a lot going on, and I don't think it pays off very well in solo. He's definitely a community favorite, um, and he's really, really fun in groups. Even in two-player, he can be super fun. I love the mods that came with his pack, but he can be a really long, a really complicated game. There's lots of interactions, there's lots of flipping um, for alter ego sort of obligations. He's got so many hooks going on that I think he's really high on the complication scale. I do think that he's not too hard, so he's just above Taskmaster, so he falls outside of my fun zone. That being said, my three and four player group, they were like, he needs to be dead center of the funness. Um, so it's a little bit biased because I play a lot of solo and two player where he's not as great as the three and four player setups. Um, so for me, he falls in the complex easy quadrant, but he's close to the complex challenging quadrant, which is a quadrant I really like. Um, so don't discount him. Really fun scenario to play. He's just just outside the edge, just like Taskmaster is for me. I would love to push him in, but gotta make the cut somewhere. All right, Collector 1. Um, well, there's a corner we haven't visited yet, and it's way up here in the top right. Super challenging. Super complex, super not fun. Um, that's just where he belongs. We're just going to put him up here in the complex and difficult corner of Doom that we're going to talk about a lot in the next couple of villains. Um, so Collector 1, he just isn't fun. It's it's as simple as that. The theme is partially there. When he was like previewed, I was like, oh, the theme is so good. Let me show all my friends. But then when I started playing it, he started capturing things you know, like superhuman strength that made no sense. He's capturing the essence of superhuman strength or the essence of whatever. And it just, it breaks the immersion for me. And immersion's super important to me. Um, he'd probably be a little bit more in, closer to my fun zone before Project Wide Awake came out. But now that Project Wide Awake exists, I just see very little reason to ever want to go revisit the Collector unless I have, like, a super fun Guardians fan that wants to play with me. So I don't think he's, like, pegging the corner here of Challenging and Complex. I think you could rush him down. I think there's more complex scenarios. But he's definitely, like, there's a, there's a line here of 
these things shall not be in my fun zone, and he is on the other side of that line. He's not close to it. He's on the other side completely. Um, so collector one, I'm sorry. That's just where you belong. And I skipped somebody. What was I doing? I skipped Drang. Drang gang. I mentioned that I like minions. I like Ultron. I like Claw. I like Crossbones. I like Zola. I like minions. I like Mutagen Formula. Minions are my thing. Um, so Drang here, he is a minion scenario, and he's no exception. If you want to show off the Milano mechanic to somebody and how fun it can be, this is the scenario I jump to immediately. There's something pretty nice about the way he scales um, and how his hooks come together. He does have a lot going on for him. The minion swarming, the charge counters, the Milano being used. But somehow, somehow, it like really congeals in this first scenario. You get useful uses of the Milano. You don't always have to use it as like this tax that you have to pay. You get lots of minions that are beatdowns, lots of fun boost abilities. He does get stalwart on stage two just to show out, show off, you know the difficulty of when you lose your status conditions. So for me, he's like smack dab in the middle here. I think he's a little bit harder than Claw um, and probably more complex, probably in the Mutagen Formula complex region, but he's like in the heart of my fun zone. So we did get a fun character from, from Galaxy's Most Wanted. And speaking of fun characters from Galaxy's Most Wanted, we have Collector number two. The hardest thing I'm having is finding the character in the bottom right here. I'm surprised I can't find this one because I definitely saw him earlier. There he is, right at the front. So Collector 2, this is the first true race scenario in my mind that I think the designers designed and intended to be like a chase scene or a race scenario. It leans a little bit too heavily into thwarting for me, but I do like that we get interesting reasons to go for the villain's face. This is like one of my larger diehard playgroup's favorite things because their biggest complaint about Marvel Champions, and I have the same complaint sometimes, is a lot of times it just feels like one of the best ways to play is to stabilize the board until I have a completely stable board and defeating the villain is inevitable and then put damage on the villain. And there is no one right way to play the game, right? But the game rewards you for doing that, right? It, it's the most consistent when you do that. But with, with Collector 2, when you knock him out, he flips over and his stats are lower and other nasty effects don't happen. So there's this encouraging factor of telling you, like, hey, put damage into the villain early. Maybe leave that minion out. Maybe leave that side scheme out because flipping him down is better for your entire team for this phase. And it can lead to a lot of fun teamwork situations. He's definitely on the easier end. Um, but on the more complicated end, I think he's just barely in this easy complex quadrant, and that was just the corner that made it into my little um, my fun zone, and I'm definitely putting him into it. And if you had asked me five or six months ago about that, I probably wouldn't have. I probably would have edged him just out. But playing him recently, and our playgroup's been going through all of the scenarios with some of the newer mods. Um, he's just eking in there. We we played him, and we said, let's set that one up again. That one was really fun. So I'm pretty excited to announce that I have two Galaxy's Most Wanted villains in my fun zone. And now that will sharply change. <laughs> Here's Nebula. Um, she is in the challenging complex region. There is so much going on with Neb Nebula. And I admit, when Nebula first came out, I thought she was a really good example of how you could have sort of two hooks in a scenario and really have them merge and blend really well. Um, and I'm eating crow here, but the more and more I play Nebula, the more I see that, like, I was completely, completely wrong. Nebula is not fun. <laughs> she's just, she's too 
unstable, right? She could be fun. There's just a little bit too much surge. There's a little bit too much, oh, you got another ship counter and now you have to do this extra thing. The ship tax, I call it the ship tax because you basically, whenever you're the first player, like have a cruddy turn because you have to remove evasion counters from her ship to stay in the game. It doesn't offer like an interesting decision point for the players. It's like this extra decision making to add extra complexity to not give the players an actual choice. And to me, she the, there's something in every corner except for challenging simple for now. And she is the challenging complex epitome corner for me still today. Nebula belongs up there. I do hope they revisit scenarios like this where there's multiple hooks. I think those can be really fun. And I think we even have one in Sinister Motives that is really fun. Um, I think the one here just had too many things that seemed like decisions that in reality were deceptive decisions. It was a decision, but there's the obvious right answer and there's the obvious wrong answer. And I used to be of the mindset of sometimes I'll take the obvious wrong answer just to interject risk into my game, but I haven't gotten to that point in my life in a long time. So I am no longer of that opinion. Nebula, top right, challenging complex, way outside the fun zone. And then we have Ronin. And you all might be surprised where I place Ronin. Um, so I think we're almost, and I mean almost, not really all the way there, but we're almost to the point where Ronin doesn't deserve all the hate that I think he gets. Is he oppressive? Yes. Is he a beat stick where you're just like getting crushed? Yes. If we judged him on the galaxy's most wanted card pool, he'd just be sitting right on top of Nebula up in their happy, crazy, challenging complex corner that Kennedy Hawk will never play. But... As more heroes have come out, and more allies have come out, and more aspect cards that sort of get around some of Ronin's biggest challenges, I think his difficulty's actually taken down a peg. Um, I think that if you're just using an all-purpose deck, he's actually a little bit easier than Collector, Collector 1. Now, Collector 1, you can completely build a deck to game, right? So he's probably at around the same difficulty level, on average. And he's a little bit more complicated, because there's a lot of things happening. But he's eking closer to the fun zone with every hero release, every modular set release. Um, there's a lot of fun combos that people have come up with that can work really well against Ronin. So I'm really enjoying Ronin uh, recently, especially in our four player team. We've been playing Ronin on standard and maybe that's part of my mindset is my mindset has gone from, I have to play on expert all the time or heroic all the time. And now sometimes we just kick back, enjoy a standard game right? And that's totally fine, and we enjoy it. Playing him in campaign mode is still crazy pants, so he's not, he's, he, don't don't get me wrong, he's not jumping the hurdle into the fun zone yet. Um, but he's closer than I thought he would be, and I don't know if that's just because of other com uh, complicated and difficult villains have come out that have made me appreciate running more, or if the card pool has grown, but something has happened that has pushed him further. Previously, I would have had him to the right of Nebula for complexity and challengingness, and, and recently it, it just hasn't been that way for me. So he's getting better. All right, Ebony Maw. This is definitely my least favorite villain um, for the start of a box. He's just a bit too random for my taste. I've talked with a lot of our playgroups, and some people really like seeing what's happening ahead with the villain. Um, to me, that, that removes tension. There's a lot of fun video games that do things that way, right? Slay the Spire and other things like that, where you kind of see what's coming up so you can plot out your turn. Um, and to me, that removes a lot of the tension from Marvel Champions. You see something like, oh, I have a double fireball, so I guess I just have to go heal. And it removes some decision-making and power from the players, which I don't like. 
um, which is interesting. You'd think that would be removing power from the villain, but in my mind, it, it becomes flip-flopped. Um, I do like the idea of having things you have to avoid that you see coming, but I feel like his scenario leans into it a little bit too heavily, and some of his cards just seem like they were tuned a little wonky. Like, there's the one that removes a counter from each invocation, and then if you don't have an invocation, you go and find another one. So it might trigger five invocations and then dump another thing on you. So there's a lot of, like, little chances for things to just snowball and be annoying that it feels like there are tiny little details missed in his design. Um, that being said, he's super easy, right? I mean, 99 times out of 100, he doesn't snowball. The one time he does snowball, he's super not fun. I don't think he's overly complicated. I don't think he's overly simple. I think he's right on that axis. And we're going to put him, you know, down here just outside the fun bubble again, right? He's in the, the range of sub-fun, but not, you know, actively not fun. Um, but to me, disappointing first villain um, scenario since we had Crossbones and Drang right in there. All right, Tower Defense. Um, here we have a slight improvement upon the Wrecking Crew. And I say slight because, again, we have a similar problem of you know what's coming up. You know who which villain is going to be active for the most part. There's a couple treacheries that will switch that around. Um, so you're able to game it still, which is a bit unfortunate. It feels a little bit like we're in a space where there's extra complications without a lot of fun happening, right? So it seems like there's decisions, right? If if Corvus has an undefended attack. Well, you're never going to do that if you have the choice, right? So you're not taking this extra damage on Avengers Tower except for these auto-loss treacheries that randomly pop out of nowhere. Same thing with uh, Proxima, right? I mean, you can choose to put damage on Avengers Tower, but 9 times out of 10, you're just going to put extra damage onto Proxima and jump with an ally. And they counter that a little bit with some boost abilities, which is okay. But it starts to get that loss of identity scenario where they're just kind of throwing big numbers at you. It's overly complicated without having a ton of fun. Again, I think it's on the easier side. Um, sl slightly higher, harder than, you know, Risky Business. In my opinion, easier than Kang. Um, a little bit harder than Taskmaster. So we'll probably arrange those guys right around there. All right, Thanos. We're, we're running out of villains here. We're in box three at this point. I think Thanos is going to stand the test of time and forever frustrate people that rely on status effects. Sorry, stun lockers. You're not going to enjoy playing against Thanos. But much like the Collector 2, he's a villain that you need to build your deck around if you want to play against him and have fun. Um, which is interesting because I, I discredit Collector 1 for that, um, but I don't discredit Thanos as much because I feel like that's needed against Thanos. And despite the gauntlet being there, I feel like it's a really good hook into his scenario that makes a lot of sense, and it doesn't feel overly complicated, because so many of his cards hook into the Infinity Gauntlet, you're unlikely to forget about it. Whereas Loki has like some things that deal with the Infinity Gauntlet, some that deal with other things, it becomes this you know extra thing you have to remember instead of just integrated into the scenario, like, like I feel like it is with Thanos really well. He doesn't feel overly complicated, um, but... He does feel really difficult, so I'm going to place him here, um, right around Mutagen Formula, actually a little bit above Mutagen Formula because of that uh, Stalwart. Um, I think he is super challenging. I don't think he's super complex. Maybe he's Ultron levels of complex, so he might tinily... I may have made my fun bubble a little bit too small with how spread out I'm putting these uh, these villains in my tier list because I I do think that Thanos belongs in my fun zone, so I'm just, <coughs> just uh, pulling things in a little bit tighter here on my fun guys. Cheating a little bit. All right. Hella. Hell yeah, Hella. I think Hella is being pushed out of my fun bubble recently. When she came out, she was certainly smack dab in the middle of it. Um, but I feel some of the more recent scenarios have been just as good at storytelling 
a narrative without being so like direct and having direct complexity that's like this direct path, right? It removes some of the choices, even though it seems like it's adding choices again, which is a pet peeve of mine. I do enjoy her from time to time, but I feel like her difficulty is dropping with more card pool options that get added. And I feel like people are really figuring out how to game her. Some people on Discord knew how to game her right away. Major props to them, because they're the ones that taught me um, about just, you know, how you can just go all out and ignore things if you need to and just burn through the scenario. Um, I do enjoy her from time to time, like I said, um, but she's just becoming less desirable to play for me. I don't think she's on, like, I think she's right on this easy line, and maybe she barely ekes, ekes into the fun zone, um, looking at where I placed her here, um, but she's falling, like, further and further from that center axis for me, so I'm worried that she is going to pop up pretty soon. Then we have Loki. I feel like Loki, it's unfortunate that he relies so much on the gauntlet, because he would be really fun. If he did not rely on the gauntlet, <laughs> I could see a totally fun shape-shifting Loki scenario where you have to hunt him down. Could be super fun. It'd probably end up something like the spiral scenario that we have from Mojoverse. Um, I like the idea of this scenario, but I never actually like the playing of it, which tells me something is off in it in my fun categories. I think the complexity is just a bit high for the difficulty range. I mean, he's not up here in the Ronin Nebula area, but he's slightly outside the bubble for me. Um, I just, for some reason, having the gauntlet in there really bothers me with Loki. So, a bit unfortunate, but he's he's over there. Alright, that's three boxes done. We've got two boxes left and two scenario packs. So let's jump right in here with the hood. The hood is, again, epitome of complex. He can be super easy, because he can just choke on himself. Or he can be super hard. Um, and I always sort of lean on RNG, going to the hard side. So I don't think he's, you know, Ronin or Collector levels of difficult. Um, he certainly is Ronin levels of difficult for organizing your collection, which I don't like. Um, I think he's got a cool hook. He's just... Blah. <laughs> so the hood for me seems like it's always going to be a fun scenario to play. And just like Loki... Maybe I'll move him over here by Loki, because I feel like he's in the same cluster of... The playing of the hood just isn't very fun to me. So that's where he, he sort of ends up in this challenging, complex region that's slightly outside my border. Um, and then we get to Sandman. We're into the Sinister Motives box. Sandman isn't super challenging, but can be an expert and can be with the right mods. Um, he is deceivingly not simple for a starting scenario. There's a lot to do with that Surging Sands. There's a lot to think about with risk-reward about how much you let those Surging Sands build up. I think he ends up being here slightly harder, um, eh, probably slightly easier than Drang, and slightly more complex. Um, so he's over here in the scale to me, just barely in the challenging complex quadrant, and he's right where I like him. So Sandman, to me, is the perfect scenario to show multiple hooks that seamlessly flow together. Every card in Sandman scenario, and I mean every card, relates so well to the theme of Sandman and the main mechanics of Sandman and the way his villain changes as you go through the different forms can be super fun, entertaining, and offer different decision points in completely different games every time you play. Um, so Sandman is my favorite entry villain from all the boxes. He just, he just is. I really, 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 really like Sandman. Um, and of course, that could be quite annoying, but um, you know, 
I was trying to make a sand pun there, and it, it just it just fell flat. It fell through my fingers, slipped through like sand. All right, Venom. Venom is going to be over here. Um, he's definitely com complex, right? There's a lot going on. There's a lot of triggers. There's a lot of decision points around that bell tower, but I think he's in a pretty sweet spot. I think he's a little bit more challenging than Sandman. Um, he's a classic bruiser, which is funny because he's like in the opposite end of my fun spectrum. I put him in the challenging complex region. He's the opposite end of my fun oval than Rhino is, but at the same time, I consider him like a true beat, beat stick for Marvel Champions. So I think that I think Venom's super fun. I don't have too much to say say about him beyond that, but I'm really, really happy at the spot that Venom's at. I think as we get more cards with boost abilities, Venom's only going to be more fun. Very similar to Claw in that regard. Um, almost a revisit to Claw's mechanic with a lot more going on, which is kind of why he's in the same range, but uh, a little bit more complex. We're cranking through Sinister Motives here. Let's put Mysterio out there. I think Mysterio, again, is, is quite complex, but he's quite easy because his health is a little bit low. And I think he falls outside my range here. He's a little bit easier than Taskmaster, in my opinion, unless you let things get out of control. But not as easy as Ebony Maw. Um, I do like the gimmick. I like the shuffling of villain cards into your deck. My sleeving situation really hates it. <laughs> I don't know what to say about that other than that. Um, I do think he's got a lot of great theme. He's a fun scenario to play sometimes, but he's not you know, in my my core love of Marvel Champions scenarios. But there's a few more of those out there. Alright, and speaking of one, Sinister Six. I know a lot of people don't like Sinister Six, so people aren't going to like where I place them. But I find the Sinister Six to not be like super challenging, and to not be overly complex. I think they're like, in my opinion, like the dead center of this difficulty complexity alignment chart. And I really enjoy Sinister Six. And this goes against everything I said earlier, right? There's obviously a way to game the Sinister Six, and there's always obvious choices that are the better choices to make. And I said I have a difficult time, you know, making the hard choice just for fun or for theme. But for some reason with Sinister Six, it just brings it out of me. And, like, somebody comes up and punches me once, and I'm saying, I'm going for that villain first. I don't care if it's the bad decision to make. Um... My son loves playing Sinister Six, so I'm probably biased by the many great games we've had playing as Spider-Man against the Sinister Six. He just thinks it's so funny when a villain pops out, especially if it's a villain we've just defeated that gets shuffled in that was really annoying, and he pops out, and he just is so exasperated and, like, cracks himself up about it. Um, it can be a really funny narrative story. He likes to, you know, say lines from the Spider-Man Kids TV show when, when, when different villains pop up, mainly when Doc Ock comes out. So it's, it, to me, this is where the emotion comes in, right? The memories of this scenario are probably pushing it into the fun zone for me, but I'm okay with that. We got a multi-villain scenario in there. The design team did it, and I appreciate it. And then there's Venom Goblin. We talked about complexity. We talked about difficulty. I, I don't hate Venom Goblin as much as Nebula. But, you know, if there was a way for me to barely overlap those two icons on this uh, tier maker chart, that's where they would be. These are the coals in my stocking. Um, definitely as high as we can go in the complexity scale, a little bit less challenging than Nebula, just because, I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's because he's a final boss in a box. I expect him to be a little bit more challenging um, than Nebula, and he, he lies right up there with her. But there are two scenarios that I am not super apt to play continuously. All right, 
we are moving on to Mutant Genesis. So we have Sabretooth. Sabretooth, I think, is another really fun opening scenario box. Um, I think his challengingness can be quite a bit more challenging than the other opening scenarios. Um, and his complexity is there too. So he's he's right around here for me. Um, he could be a long, grueling scenario. He's in the challenging complexity region right around Ultron, Red Skull, and Venom to me. Um, a little bit harder than Venom, maybe about equal to Ultron, a little bit easier than Red Skull, and uh, right around them in the complexity region. There's a lot going on with Sabretooth, um, but a lot of it merges well together. The, the main problem I have with Sabretooth is I always forget to do his healing ability. It's always like the end of the round, our four-player team goes through, and maybe we're just bad at reading cards is what I'm learning making this video. But, like, half of us will have forgotten to do our heal, and then we'll have to be like, well, we're not going to rewind time through six encounter cards, so we're just going to discard the next two. And they always end up being three boosts, which annoys us. Um, but I do find Sabretooth to be super fun. I think Sabretooth is another scenario that tells a story super well, and is one of the reasons that I think Hella is getting a little bit pushed out, is that the complexity of Sabretooth is a little bit easier than Hella to me. At least the decision-making is a little bit funner. Um, or more fun, is the, the right way to say that. And, I don't know, I just enjoy him. This could be Cult of the New speaking still. X-Men is very new to the game, um, so I'm expecting a lot of these scenarios to get plugged in there. But, for me, he's right there. Alright, Project Wide Awake. I have Project Wide Awake is not as hard as the Challenger. Um, not Challenger. Not as hard as Collector 1, not as uh, complex as Collector 1. So I think he, those Sentinels might just be edging Project Wide Awake into my, my fun zone. Um, I do really enjoy playing against them, but I can get very frustrated when my allies get taken away, and I'll just leave it at that. I do think um, they are super fun when you're playing with a fan, uh, group of X-Men fans. We quote so many 90s things. I mean, is it difficult? Yes. Does a mall baby eat chili fries? Yes. Um, but is it classic, super fun, and I feel like here's where we get a combination of two previous hooks. We get the Collector's Hook, and we get Taskmaster's Hook, and both of them feel equally weighted and equally enjoyable, which I think is really cool. So I'm glad they were able to take those two previous hooks that fell outside my fun range and push them a little bit closer to in my fun range, because that's a good sign for the future of Marvel Champions. Next is Master Mold. Uh, my opinion has changed drastically on Master Mold since I recorded that episode. Um, but mainly because I've learned that Master Mold is very gameable. It's really easy to set Magneto up to just handle every minion that comes out in solo. And previously I didn't rely on Magneto nearly as much. I wasn't building decks that inspire or danger room training or whatever Magneto. If you go that route, Master Mold can be really easy. If you don't, or you're playing two players and multiple minions are coming out, he can be incredibly frustrating. Um, so to me, Master Mold still falls outside the fun range. He's a little bit easier than I used to say he was. And like, he's he's really close to being in the fun range. He might even be in there just for newness. Um, I do like other minion scenarios better, minion spamming scenarios. So I like Mutagen Formula, I like Zola, I like Drang a little bit better. I know other people feel that Master Mold is, is very fun and very enjoyable to play. I'm on the opposite side of that spectrum. I don't think he's not enjoyable to play. He's just slightly outside the fun zone to me. Alright, um, we have Mansion Attack. I really enjoy Mansion Attack. I think it's another multi-villain scenario that's super fun. I think it can be a little bit challenging, right? Because it's hard to build a deck to be Mansion Attack because the wrong location or wrong villain can come out that can really throw a wrench in your day. 
Um, but I think that's part of the fun of Mansion Attack, right? It takes the previous multi-villain scenarios, makes it operate like a single villain scenario with a single encounter deck, um, and then adds some randomness to which ones are showing up in which order. So to me, it feels like a multi-villain scenario weaved into a single villain scenario setup. I really love how the Brotherhood can pop out um, on their activation cards or activate if they're the villain. I think that was a really ingenious way to do the extra activation cards in this scenario. And for that, I'm putting it um, right on the center for complexity because it could have gotten really complicated and, and annoying. But instead, they made it pretty smooth. Um, I think it's up there slightly below Ultron in challengingness. We're getting a lot of things clustered here right at the center, which is probably some of the design intent or some bias uh, for by clicking here. And then we have Magneto. I think Magneto is actually one of the most challenging scenarios in the game. He can be fun to play, um, and I think he's super fun to play, but I think he's up there in the Mutagen Formula Thanos area. I don't think he's as complicated um, as, you know, Knight of the Sentinels or Project Wide Awake or Loki or Collector. I don't seem to find myself having as many rules questions or, like, aha moments where I have, like, brain burn. Um, and I like that he has a direct narrative. Again, he takes what Hela did previously with checkpoints and sort of improves upon it and tells a story, like an epic finale, way better than I felt like Hela did back in the day. Um, so I'm, I'm not trying to dump on Hela. I just really like Magneto. So um, major props to the Mutant Genesis box. Right now, it looks like three of those are in my circle, and two of them are right by the edge. It might be three that are right by the edge, and two in the center of the circle, but I'm I'm pretty happy with the scenarios that we got out of Mutant Genesis. Oh, I mean, I'll just say I'm really happy with the scenarios we got out of Mutant Genesis. All right, moving on to Mojo Mania. We have Magog, or Magog, or Magog, however you say him. Scrooge Magog. Um, I love this scenario. I think it doesn't scale super well in Expert, but... I feel like this is one of the first times we've had like an alt-loss condition um, that I really, really enjoyed and thought like just screamed theme. It wasn't overly complex, right? It's like a super simple way to have an alt-win or alt-loss condition. Um, there's a few triggers that people forget and things like that, but I think it's it's pretty pretty far on the simple side. And I'm actually going to adjust some people seeing you know, how complicated I said some of these guys were. Um, but I think that I think that Magog is pretty simple, but also challenging, and he fills the space that we don't have a lot of, which is a challenging, simple scenario um, that could just be a really fun beatdown. So I'm I'm putting him up there in that quadrant. I think he's just he's in like the ideal fun zone for me. Really enjoy him. Spiral. All right, Spiral. I think it's a little bit more on the complicated side. I think she's got a lot of triggers, a lot of things going on, a lot of decision points that can cause a little bit of brain burn, a little bit of team disargument. Um, I think she's over here by Hella to me. Uh, I think she's a fun scenario. She's not a home run for me, but she's she's just a little bit too complicated for how challenging she is, in my opinion. And then we've got Mojo. Mojo is the scenario I played the least, right? He's the newest scenario, and we've been playing these all in campaign modes. We've been getting to Mojo the least because we lose something earlier and start our campaign over. Um, so I think Mojo is super fun. I like his mechanic. I like the ratings. I think they work out super well. I think he is pretty complicated. I don't think he's like Red Skull levels of difficulty. So I have him out here, um, near Loki, near, um, Project Wide Awake, 
um, which I'm surprised Project Wide Awake and Loki are so close at this point. It's making me think that I've clustered things too too close together, but around this is where I would put um, Mojo over in the... And in fact, I actually don't think he's that challenging if you can bring one aggro player that just does some damage. So I'm going to move him a little bit down in the challenging region. Um, he is more complicated than Spiral. So he's he's something that's making me question my, my fun zone. Because I think he's more complicated than Spiral um, and a little more challenging than her. But I think he belongs in my fun zone and she does not. Um, and it's the first one that I'm having a real hard time placing and figuring out why. And I'm, I'm just going to chalk it up to, to, to Cult of the New for now, because I was trying to make this under an hour long, and it looks like I'm at 56 minutes on my recording. So we're going to place Mojo over here in the challenging complex region. He's barely on the challenging side um, of the quadrants, um, and he's a, he, he should be in a spot that I like. I don't have a good explanation as to why he's not, um, other than some sort of bias going on in my head. But uh, still pretty happy with that pack in general. So there you have it. This is my simple, complex, easy, challenging alignment chart for Marvel Champions Villains. We're going to do a similar chart with different axes for heroes before the end of the year. Thanks, as always, for tuning into Marvel Champions Monthly. If you have any feedback or feel like leaving a rating for us or comments or reviews, we read all of them and appreciate them greatly. If you contribute to the Patreon or the Extra Life page or any of our events and activities throughout the year, Super glad that you did, and I'm stoked to meet even more of you at Con of Heroes this year, where we can talk all about tier lists and alignment charts and all that fun, meaty, grindy stuff that we get to talk about on the MCM podcast. So thanks for tuning in. As always, if you're listening to this over the holidays, I hope I didn't say too many bad words while your kids were listening. But have a great holiday break, and we'll see you in the new year.